2020 was like, yo, I'm going to give you all a pandemic that you haven't seen for a hundred years. And then 2021 was like, yo, I see your pandemic and I raise you one capital storming, which you haven't seen in 200 years. Welcome to 2021. Um, look, regardless of what your political affiliation may be, what we saw this past week was pretty shocking. Uh, I never thought I would see something like that in my lifetime. Um, and then I started thinking a little bit more like, okay, why was I shocked? I think some of it is just the, that very fact, like, yo, I don't never expect to see something like that. Uh, but then at the same time, I started thinking like, there's, there's never been a world superpower that has existed as it is for all of eternity. I mean, you can go back to the very beginning of time. Empires come and empires go. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I love America, all right? I think that American democracy is uh, the greatest experiment in human govern governing that, that we've seen. Uh, I don't know what I would choose differently. But I do know this. When you look back, you see the Akkadian Empire, gone. Assyrian Empire, gone. Babylonian Empire, gone. Roman Empire, gone. Egypt. There's hundreds of empires that have come and gone. Mayan Empire, gone. Even the British Empire, as it was known a hundred years ago, gone. Different. And, and I started thinking about uh, what happens when we feel like we're losing something. When we feel like we're thirsty, but there's uh, nothing to drink or somebody's taking our water, we, we will often do crazy things. Um, the truth is, salvation is not found in the left. Salvation is also not found in the right. Uh, salvation is not going to be found in progressives. Salvation is not going to be found in conservatives. It's not even going to be found in centrists. Uh, salvation is not going to be found in America because salvation was never in America. Uh, this week, I think, if anything, made me realize that humanity is always thirsty. Uh, what we try to fill our thirst with uh, changes. But humanity is always thirsty. Uh, what I really got saddened by is the place where salvation ought to be found, the church. At least in America, there is a lot of organizations that call themselves churches where salvation will not be found because we have become thirsty for the wrong things. We become thirsty for personal power and prestige, privilege. I want our church to be a place where salvation is found, where salvation is found because of what we're actually thirsty for. Uh, this is a picture of the Atacama Desert in Chile. Uh, there are actually parts of this desert that as long as they have been recording rainfall, they've never once recorded a single drop. Okay? It's crazy. Uh, thirst is a way of life in a place like that. Right? Because if you don't have water, you don't have life. Water is life. No water no life. That's just reality. 
Uh, Every five to seven years, though, there are parts of the Atacama Desert that will actually experience a rainstorm, and it will saturate the ground, and when that happens, this happens. Uh, It's called a superbloom. You see, what looks dead and empty and lifeless, there's actually seeds that are in the dust sitting there for five, seven years. But because there is no rain, there is no water, there is no life. And when the rain comes, it actually washes off a protective layer on the seed. The seed germinates and grows and blooms within like a week's time. And it turns the desert into an oasis. I mean, like that's amazing, gorgeous. I would love to see something like that. Uh, As a staff, about every six months or so, give or take, um, we try to get away and pray and plan and listen to God. And we say, God, what do you want our church to know? What do you want us to teach? Like when we're coming up with series for the year, we're really not just like trying to come up with them out of thin air. We're trying to sit and listen to God and say, God, what do you, what do you want your church to know? All right, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. We can't teach everything in the Bible in a year. So we say, are there certain books of the Bible, God? Certain areas you want us? And we also know there's all kinds of different topics that we as Christians living in 2021 need to engage with. And what does God's word have to say to that? What does God want to say to us through his word about those topics? What topics does he want us to talk about? So we really try to spend a lot of time saying, God, what do you want your church to hear? So about two years ago, uh, we had a sense that God wanted us to teach TLC about his Holy Spirit. Um, We didn't feel like it was for 2019. Uh, We thought we were going to deal with it at the end of 2020, and then God said, nope, I want you to hold off longer. We thought it was going to be this fall. God still said, hold off. And so uh, he finally felt like he gave us, um, not permission, but was like, hey, 2021 is the year of the Spirit. I want it to be the year of the Spirit at TLC. And... uh, the more that we uh, prayed through it, um, we, we just got really excited. So we're going to do a, a series now for the next six weeks. Uh, we plan to do another series on the Holy Spirit a little bit later this year. Uh, what I'm hoping for, though, is that, uh, not just hoping, but what we've been praying for. Uh, we, we've been, the last number of months, we've really been praying and saying, oh, God, would you, would you do this? Take, take the desert and turn it into a superbloom. Take TLC and like just rain down, pour out your spirit on us. God, let let us be thirsty, hungry for your spirit. God, would you just drench this place, immerse us. So that's what we've been asking uh, God to do. Um, For that to happen though, uh, there's a couple things. One, we need to know what Holy Spirit is. And two, we really need to want what Holy Spirit brings. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is kind of deal with those two uh, needs or those two questions a little bit. What is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit wish to bring? And do we want it? Um, So uh, every couple of years, uh, there's this organization called Ligonier's, and they do a a survey on kind of the state of theology, theological beliefs in America, and they also do it in the UK. In 2020, they asked this question for uh, the U.S., And I want to ask it to us, and I want you to answer it, not out loud, just in your heads. But this is the question, true or false, the Holy Spirit is a force 
but not a personal being. The Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. So true or false, answer it for yourself in your own head. You don't have to say it out loud. In just a second, I'll tell you what uh, Americans thought, what evangelicals thought, and then we'll find out whether that is true or false. So uh, this is actually the survey numbers. So on the right-hand side, you have those that agreed. Right in the middle, it says not sure, and those that disagreed, okay? So if you agreed, you said it was a true statement. The Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. Uh, 76% of Americans of all religious backgrounds uh, either agreed that that is true, the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being, or they were unsure. So only 24% thought the Holy Spirit was a personal being. Uh, evangelicals is the number that you see underneath that. 55% of evangelical Christians said they were either unsure or agreed with the statement that the Holy Spirit is a force but not a personal being. And 45% said they believe that the Holy Spirit is not a force but is instead a personal being. Okay? How we answer that question makes all the difference. Is the Holy Spirit a force, kind of like what's in Star Wars, that the Holy Spirit is all around us and is within us, and it's this power, this force that we have to learn how to wield in our lives? Like the more that we recognize him, the more that we engage with him, the more power we're going to have and we're going to be able to use it. Or is the Holy Spirit a person that we're supposed to know and experience? Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to fly through a couple of passages that help us get a little bit of a historical understanding of how the Bible has engaged or talked about uh, the Holy Spirit. We ought to start right at the very beginning in Genesis 1. Uh, you'll find that a lot of our series, we wind up starting in Genesis 1 because it's so foundational to so much of our Bible. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now the word spirit in uh, Hebrew is the word ruach. All right? Uh, it just means uh, the Spirit of God, the breath of God, uh, the wind of God. And here it's described as kind of hovering, almost like uh, a bird is, would hover with its wings flapping over the waters. Now, the fact that it's hovering over the water is very interesting, actually, because uh, all throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit is likened to water. One of the uh, most prevalent metaphors throughout the Old Testament regarding the Holy Spirit is like water that will be poured out, uh, especially uh, water in uh, the desert. You got to remember that Israel, all right, there are some spots in the north that are, have fairly lush, and uh, there's a fair bit of water, but in the south, when you get down to Jerusalem, the whole southern part, I mean, like, it's straight-up wilderness. Like, you don't see green for miles. It's dirty and dusty and rocky, and, like, water is everything. Without water, there's no life. So, uh, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters in creation, okay? Now, uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit kind of comes and goes, all right, the Holy Spirit comes on people to do like wicked, awesome, 
not wicked, holy awesome things uh, for uh, a time on, comes on prophets and priests and, and, and kings so they can do something. And then he, he will fade back into the shadows. So he'll come for a particular uh, need that, that is there uh, to, to do something, and, and then he comes back into the shadows. And that's kind of how we see the Spirit all, all throughout the Old Testament. He's kind of this figure that seems to kind of hang in the background. Only comes out at times for certain important events and then kind of goes back. And The prophets, though, near the end of the Old Testament, they begin to see a time, imagine a time when God will send his spirit in powerful ways where he will no longer be in the shadows but will step out into the light for good and come on all people. Uh, There's a number of different places that it talks about this, uh, but let me just give us two to look at. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah is actually writing uh, from Jerusalem, which is in the southern part of Israel. And uh, as he writes, he is uh, surrounded by rocks and dust and all kinds of stuff that... uh, Needs water. Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, chapter 44, starting in verse 1. It says, But now, listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. You're like, all right, what are all these names? Basically, all you need to know is he's talking about Israel, okay? Uh, The guy who eventually gets named Israel, his name is Jacob. He wrestles with an angel sent from God. Uh, God changes his name from Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel, one who contends with God. And uh, so when you hear the name Jacob or the name Israel, it's usually referring to the nation of Israel. In fact, uh, Jeshurun right there uh, just simply means, uh, what does it mean there? Upright one, okay? Just another name for Israel. So uh, the prophet is talking to Israel, and he says this, verse 2. Or excuse me, verse 3, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. If you're living in a desert, that sounds amazing, right? I will pour out my spirit, this is what the water is that he's talking about, on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams, like the Atacama Desert during a super bloom, or like Michigan in the springtime. It's in the original Hebrew if you read that. Uh, Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hands, the Lord's or Yahweh's, and will take the name Israel. All right, he's imagining this time when God's going to pour out his spirit like water on a thirsty land, right? Oh, man, that would be amazing because right now the spirit just kind of comes and goes. And he's not for everybody. He only comes on special people for a special time. But the prophets are already seeing as God gives them images of a day that is to come. Flip over to one more, Joel chapter 4. Keep flipping Jeremiah. Then you get to Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Then you hit Joel. Joel chapter 4. Oh, sorry, not Joel 4. Joel 2. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28. It says, and afterward... Okay, in a time to come, because he's still envisioning this. It's not now, but it's in the future. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All right, this concept of pouring, right? You pour water, you pour liquid, okay? 
And here, again, we get this concept of spirit as water being poured out. Uh, priests would often do water rites, uh, which is that they would take water and they would pour it out on the altar as a way to make a sacrifice. Uh, king David actually does this. There's this crazy story uh, when King David, when he's not the king yet, he's got all these like ragtag bunch of like crazy, amazing warriors are called David's mighty men. And there's this one time, the story, where uh, he says just kind of out loud, Oh, that I wish that I could have uh, a drink from the well uh, of my hometown. And these three dudes hear that, and they literally uh, see like, yo, we got to give David some of that. But that's where all of Saul's men were. And so they go, or sorry, all the Philistines were. They go in, they take out a whole bunch of Philistines just to get him a drink of water. They bring it back to David, and David looks at it, and he says, I can't drink this water that my men shed blood over. And he pours it out as a drink offering to the Lord. Like, what? Yo, you know what I just did to get that? That like water rights, okay? This is the, the, the concept. Uh, hold on to this idea of priests pouring out water. We'll get back to it in a minute. But this is what he's talking about here in chapter 2. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Joel says, there is a time coming when God's going to pour out his spirit. And it's not just going to be on select people. It's going to be on all people. And this is crazy. Like this is, He doesn't even say this is just going to be on Jewish people. It's going to be on all people. And even mentions sons and daughters, people that are in the family, servants that are not officially a part of the family. He talks about old men and young men. So the old and the young. And he says it's going to be poured out on men and on women. All right? Everyone is going to get the spirit. Now, Flip over with me to the New Testament, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Told you, we're going to be doing some, we're moving today. It's going to be good stuff, though. This is exciting. It's exciting to me. I hope it's exciting to you, too. John chapter 1. All right, uh, John 1, verse 32. Excuse me. Fog. So awesome for the throat. All right, John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 32. Now, um, it gets a little confusing, the beginning of John, okay? Because uh, John writes the book of John, the gospel of John, but he talks about John the Baptist, all right? So you got John the gospel writer who writes the gospel of John talking about John the Baptist who is not the gospel writer. Don't get confused. Right now, We are talking about John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. John the Baptist is giving his testimony of what happened on that moment. All four of the Gospels talk about the baptism of Jesus that John does. Verse 32, then John the Baptist gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is God's chosen one. Now, uh, there's something that's easy for us to miss. John would have been reading from an Old Testament translation in Aramaic. It's just called an Aramaic Targum. Just like we have English translations, like we call this the NIV, okay, the New International Version. It's an English translation of the Hebrew in the Old Testament and the Greek in the New Testament, because you and I don't read Hebrew or Greek. I'm assuming most of us don't. 
And so we have it translated. Well, there was a whole lot of Jews that at this time uh, could not read Hebrew and because they spoke Aramaic. And so there was a translation of the Jewish scriptures that were in Hebrew into Aramaic. Okay? This is what the Aramaic Targum, how it translates Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that we read just a second ago. The spirit flapped its wings over the waters like a dove. When it says the spirit was hovering over the waters of the deep in Genesis 1, the, the, the way that they uh, translated into Aramaic was the spirit flapped its wings over the waters like a dove. And now we have John giving very specific language that says, and the spirit came down on Jesus like a dove. Doesn't say the spirit is a dove, okay? There are a lot of us got like dove tattoos like to represent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not a dove, okay? Just like a dove came down on Jesus. And what is John the Baptist doing? He's talking specifically about what happened in Genesis chapter 1. He's making a very strong connection between how the Spirit is involved in creation and how the Spirit is involved in Jesus' new creation. Uh, John Mark Comer, in fact, um, John Mark is not a friend of mine. Well, he's a friend of mine in my mind, okay? Uh, he does not know that we're friends yet. Uh, one day, uh, I hope that he will. Uh, but he actually, a, a lot of what I'm going to teach over the next number of weeks, uh, I've learned from things that he has shared. This is one of the things that he said about this that I thought was so helpful. Look at this. The same way the Spirit is over the waters at creation, he is now over Jesus. Jesus is nothing short of a new creation of the world itself. It's Genesis 1 all over again. The text says that Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Flip over to John chapter 4. We're going to continue to learn how John explains this to us. John chapter 4, Jesus is walking from the southern part of Israel near Jerusalem up to where he does most of his ministry, up near the Sea of Galilee. And one of the ways that you can get up there is through the land of Samaria. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Samaritans thought that they followed the true God. Jews uh, thought that they were half-breeds. There's a lot of racism that went on during this time uh, because uh, Samaritans were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. And uh, so usually Jews went out of their way to not go through Samaria. But Jesus decides he's going to go through Samaria. In fact, chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground, Jacob, same Jacob that became Israel, that his 12 sons became the nation of Israel. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Again, this is super important. You're in a place that has very little water. So if you find water, that's a big deal. Cities get built up around these places because water is life. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water 
will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is obviously not talking about physical water here. But John doesn't tell us what it is that he's actually talking about. What is this living water? To find that out, we actually have to flip over to chapter 7. Flip over to John chapter 7. All right, hang with me. This is where it's about to get really good, right here. John chapter 7. Now, before I can dive in to the text that we're going to read in John 7, you need to understand the context, the background, what's going on here. If you look at the very beginning of chapter 7, you see that this is all taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus was a good Jewish man. He followed all of the uh, traditions that had been laid out, all the things that he was supposed to do. And for a God-fearing Jew, there was three festivals a year that no matter where you lived in Israel, you would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. This is one of those times. This is called Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacle is a fancy word for tent, okay? This is the Feast of Tents, all right? This is kind of like Burning Man or, you know, something that you go to and, like, go tenting at, all right, except there's no REI, all right? You don't have North Face, uh, and there's certainly no Instagrammers there. But uh, everybody in Jerusalem is there, all the God-fearing men and a number of women as well, and they're camping, literally camping. It's intended to remind them of the time that they went camping with God in the wilderness after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Remember those 40 years? Israelites are wandering around. They're staying in tents because they don't have permanent homes. In fact, God actually says, make me a tent, and my glory is going to be in that, the tabernacle. Now, eventually, when they get into the promised land, they build a temple. The tabernacle is no longer, and God's presence is there in the temple. This festival is a way to remind themselves of how God provided for them once before and to look forward to the day when God will bring them on a new exodus when the Spirit will be with them as the prophets had foretold. All right. Now, there's something that's really, really interesting about this. Every single day, the priest would take a golden pitcher and he would walk down because the temple's like in a high point. He would walk down the hill to the pool of Siloam. So the reason that Jerusalem is there is because there's this big spring called the Spring of Gihon and it had water that was flowing there, right? You can't have a city if you don't have water. Priest goes down, water represents life, right? He gets this huge pitcher full of, golden pitcher full of water. It's overflowing and he walks it back up and while he's walking it back up there is a choir and the streets are lined with all of the people there and they're all singing chanting Isaiah 12 3 with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation with joy you will bring waters from the well of salvation they're chanting this and the priest walks it back up And he takes it to the altar in the temple. And as he gets to the altar, a hush falls over the crowd. And he takes this water and he pours it out onto the altar. Dr. Gary Burge says, The prophets Zechariah and Ezekiel had visions of rivers flowing from the temple in a miraculous display of God's blessing. He says, In a drought-stricken land, it was a spectacular vision of water, life-giving water flowing from God's life-giving temple. This is a symbolic act intended to remind people of what the prophets had said, that one day God's Spirit would be poured out on everyone. 
Now we pick up the story, John chapter 7. Look with me in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. So he's in the temple. We don't know exactly when on this day this happens. We just know it's on the last day, all right? He's in the temple. I like to imagine that it's right after the priest has poured the water out on the altar and everybody's just hushed. And Jesus says in a loud voice, in other words, in a voice so that everybody could hear him and there would be no mistaking what he was saying. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. He says, you've been waiting for the desert to turn into Michigan. You've been waiting for this time when the desert's going to bloom and water's going. He says, I am the fulfillment in front of everybody. I am the fulfillment. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me will have living water flow from within them. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You're like, how do you know that? Because I continued to read. By this, he meant the Spirit. (laughs) I'm brilliant, right? Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus echoes the language of the Old Testament. Water being poured out in a dry and thirsty land. By that meaning, the Holy Spirit, which begs the question, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? TLC, do we really want all that Jesus offers us in the Holy Spirit? Have you ever felt like, is this really all that there is? Like when when you think about your Christian life, you're like, do you feel like, Yo, I'm rocking it. I'm crushing it. Like, I'm seeing, like, God's power all the time. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm never tempted by sin. And, and the few times that I am, like, it's so easy. Do you ever feel like, man, ah, oh, there's got to be more? I do. I do. Man, I want more. I've been praying for more. I've been praying that TLC would look like the Atacama Desert after a super bloom, that it wouldn't be dry and dusty, but just, like, blooms and flowers and like lush like man i want i want that in my life i want that in your life Uh, billy graham said this he said everywhere i go i find that god's people lack something they're hungry for something their christian experience is not all that they expected and they often have recurring defeat in their lives christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment the most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd like to close with just two comments and then one analogy that I hope will allow us to apply this to our lives individually and as a church. Um, Some of you, when you heard that we were doing a series on the Holy Spirit, uh, you broke out in hives. You started freaking out like, oh no, are we going to become one of those churches? 
Like, uh, and, and maybe for good reason. Maybe you grew up in a church like that, and you saw some of the abuses uh, that can take place. And you're like, man, I don't want anything. Just, like, give me uh, a sermon on a little bit of scripture and tell me a little, like, homework that I can do. Like, I'm good. That's all I want. Then there's others of you that heard that we were doing a series on the Holy Spirit, and you were like, yes, finally, TLC is going to get charismatic. Like, next week, I'm bringing my, like, dancing silks and my shofar and my tambourine. Like, y'all got super excited, right? Then there's most of you, quite honestly, that heard we were doing a series on the Holy Spirit, and you're like, good, because I don't know much. I know quite a bit, I think, about... God the Father, and I, and I feel like I really kind of get Jesus, but like the Holy Spirit, like, a lot of it has to do with the churches that we grew up in, right? I grew up in uh, what's called a Bible church, Mayfair Bible Church, Flint, Michigan. I actually just got to go visit it last week. I happened to be in Flint, stopped in, met the new pastor there. I was like, this is where I grew up. A lot of churches added Bible to their name, right? Because Bible is important. The Bible is uh, super, it's great, needed, but if we value knowledge of the Bible above every other thing, if we begin to raise the Bible up to the level of an idol rather than to understand the God of the Bible, it can actually be bad. Um. Same thing is true for those of us that grew up in charismatic or Pentecostal churches. <laughs> There's a joke uh, when I was growing up that a lot of um, folks who kind of Baptist, Reformed, Bible church, that we believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. <laughs> Not really funny, actually. Uh, we often have elevated this above the Holy Spirit. There are some, though, that grew up in more Pentecostal churches and um, you really valued the understanding and the experience of the Holy Spirit. And that's a wonderful thing. But it can be taken to extremes that are unhealthy for our spirituality as well. Like when the Bible simply becomes a source for pep talks or when we're willing to take Scripture and twist it or yank it out of context and make things that were intended uh, to be for Jerusalem as now promises that are for us, um, it's possible that the Bible can actually be used for myself rather than as something that sits over me for my instruction, and that can be dangerous as well. Uh, friends, we don't want to be a church that values Scripture or a church that values experience of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a church that does both. We've been passionate about the Scripture since we started. I want us to continue to be passionate about the Scripture but I also want to be passionate about an experience of the Holy Spirit and all that Spirit has to offer. We say we want to be a both-and kind of church. Passionate about understanding and love for God's Word and passionate in our desire for more of the Holy Spirit's power. These two things were never intended to be held at arm's length. They were supposed to be all along wedded together. It is God's Word after all. And the Holy Spirit is the one who actually breathed it into the writers. 
It's his word as well. Theology and experience should go together. Thinking and feeling should go together. Scripture and worship, preaching the gospel and signs and wonders, prayer and prophecy, teaching and tongues. These things are intended to go together. And we're not going to sacrifice one for the other. We have to be bold and passionate in what we care about in both. Now, the truth is, I feel really vulnerable talking about this stuff. Because I feel like God's asked me to teach a college course on the Holy Spirit, and I'm still in Holy Spirit kindergarten. I didn't grow up in a church that talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. I'll just be honest. Some of you have a better understanding experientially of the Spirit and His power and presence than I do. But I want it. Oh, I want it. Now, not for myself. Not, not so that I can all of a sudden be cool this or that or whatever. I just want it for our church and I want it for myself. I want to be a place where God's word and the Holy Spirit's experience and power, the presence of God comes together in beautiful ways that we see the things that we saw in the uh, New Testament that we've seen throughout church history. I want that kind of passion and boldness and courage. I want to see those things that God can do. I want that power. Like I want that for all of us. So am I nervous? Yeah, I am nervous, but I'm not because of John chapter 16. One last verse I want to read to you, John chapter 16. I'd love for us to start in verse 5, but I don't have time, so let's just start in verse 12. Uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's about to leave, and he tells them that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, when he goes. In fact, that's why he says it's better that he leaves, because then we get the Holy Spirit. He says this, verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Everything that God the Father has, he's given to the Son. Everything that the Son has, he speaks to the Spirit to give to us. There's something in here, though, that is important that we catch. The Holy Spirit is a he. Now, when I say that the Holy Spirit is a he, I do not mean that the Holy Spirit is a man. I don't even mean that the Holy Spirit is male. Okay? The Holy Spirit is neither male nor female. God chooses to identify himself with masculine pronouns, but God has both masculine characteristics and feminine characteristics. God is above sex, okay? You and I, we are sexed beings, all right? We are male and we are female. God chooses to identify himself with masculine pronouns, but what God is trying to get us to understand is that he is a person, not a force, the Holy Spirit is a he, a person, right? And persons have relationships with us. We grow in that. Let me give you this final analogy. Brenda and I, when we were dating, I had decided that I would not kiss her until I could say that I loved her, okay? Ah, oh, sweet, right? So she agreed to the same thing with me. Um, so we had been dating for a while, and uh, uh, we had, it was Thanksgiving time, uh, we were visiting some friends of hers that had horses. We had just gone for a little horse 
horseback ride. How romantic. We were back in the barn. All right, it's this cute little barn, just a couple of stalls. The horse is our way. Nobody else is in there. And I knew that I loved her, like I wanted to marry her. For me, to say that I loved her meant that I wanted to marry her. Okay, I might not be getting engaged in that moment, but that was my commitment. Like, you're the one. So we're talking a little bit, just the two of us. and, And I finally said to her, I said, Brenda, I love you. And she said, Torn, I love you too. Now, uh, I asked her about this uh, yesterday, and she's like, yeah, when I said that, I'm not sure that I really understood or meant it. I just wanted to kiss you. That was her words, okay? All right? So when we said we loved each other, I knew what that meant, right? We, go, we about to kiss, baby, all right? So I went in hot and heavy, and it was awful, and like sloppy and mostly because Brenda's got really juicy lips, but that's a whole nother thing for another time. So it was not uh, uh, the, the, the greatest, but what if I had said in that moment, all right, we've confessed our love to each other. That's it. I got everything I need. That's the height of intimacy for Brenda and I. You'd think I was an idiot, wouldn't you? Way too often, I think we do that as Christians with the Holy Spirit. Like, well, I'm a Christian. I've got the Holy Spirit. Everything I need, like I got. And yes, it's true. When you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you. All the Holy Spirit. Not like JV Holy Spirit, and one day you'll get varsity if you're good enough. No, all the Holy Spirit. However, Holy Spirit is not a thing. Holy Spirit is a person. And just like I have grown in my intimacy with Brenda from the day that we first kissed so Holy Spirit wants to grow in intimacy with us. There's times in my relationship with Brenda where there's been distance because of how I've acted and where I've needed to re-engage and, and, and grow deeper with her. Holy Spirit does that with us as well. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Church, I want us to be thirsty. I want us to say, Spirit, we want more of you. We want all of you. We want to be filled with you and filled with you again tomorrow and filled with you again. Not so that we can do some things that make people think we're awesome, but so that we can have everything that God desires for us. Everything that the Father had, he gave to the Son. Everything that the Son has, he's given to the Spirit for us. That's why we have the Spirit. That's why it's such an amazing gift. Are you thirsty? Jesus says, anyone who's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So friends, what I want us to do is just take one minute while the band comes up. We're going to sing one more song together. And in this moment, I want you to sit with Holy Spirit. And I want you to say, Spirit, I'm here. And if you're thirsty, tell him that you're thirsty. That You want to drink. You want all of him, more of him. If you're not sure if you're even thirsty, then tell him that too. Say, God, I don't know that I am right now, but I want to be. Just take this time, sit with him, close your eyes. Just say, Spirit, what do you have for me? I want to drink you in today.
if you would, I'd love everyone to slowly come back. Go ahead and grab your mask and put it on. And I'd like you to stand up with me. And I'd like for us to pray this prayer. I want you to pray it even if you don't know that you actually believe it yet. I want you to simply pray it in faith. But I'd like for us as a church to pray this together out loud. This prayer that will be up on the screen. Dear Father, all together, thank you for your Holy Spirit. I want to know him better, feel him more, and experience his power in my life. Spirit, I give you permission to transform me. In Jesus' name, amen.